You're listening to episode 85 of the Musicpreneur Mindset Podcast. Hey, we're Sub Radio. You're listening to the Musicpreneur Mindset Podcast. Here's your host, Suze, founder of the Rockstar Advocate. Hello, you're listening to episode 85, Musicpreneur Spotlight, Judah Holiday. I'm your host, Suze, a mindset coach helping music professionals get clear on their goals and find the time to get it all done, as well as the permission to get none of it done in exchange for time to process this new normal. In honor of May being Mental Health Awareness Month, I felt my conversation with Bronx-bred and Miami-based singer-songwriter Judah Holiday was particularly meaningful to share with you at this time. We discuss everything from the importance of self-awareness to the importance of structure and having the support of a team when it comes to staying healthy and focused on your goals. Judah, in addition to crafting infectious pop music laid over hypnotic beats, writes deeply reflective lyrics with unflinching honesty about his life experiences. His single, Good Life, a nuanced piano-laced track with inspiring, sunny disposition, was sparked from a 2018 stint in rehab. You'll hear more about his journey with addiction as he shares with refreshing candor what he's learned about giving up control and having more patience. Judah and I also dive into how he learned to trust collaborating with others and how he made the shift from strictly a solo writer to someone who collaborates often with others, most often with his co-writer Kevin Rudolph, a singer-songwriter-producer known for his four-times platinum hit Let It Rock, and manager Josh Snyder. Judah's music, no matter the collaboration, remains rooted in a classic sense of songcraft largely inspired by James Taylor and Neil Young. I highly encourage you to check out his work, including his latest EP, Young Hearts, and lead single, Choke, under Paperclip Records. Links to all of his channels can be found in the show notes, therockstaradvocate.com forward slash EP85, and on his website, judaholiday.com. In the meantime, enjoy our conversation about authenticity, transparency, and what life is really like signed to a label. So everyone, welcome. I'm here with Judah. Judah, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'll try not to hold it against you. I know we're both New York born and raised, and and you did leave us for Miami, but I I won't hold that against you. (laughs) I appreciate that. It was something I had to do, but uh, you know... Everybody's got to do uh, their own thing to stay centered. So that's what I had to do. Absolutely. I've definitely been there myself, as our listeners know. If you could tell us a bit about your start in music and kind of where you're at today. Well, I started playing the drums at around age seven. I've always had this desire to to continue to, to learn and play music. So that's what I did throughout my childhood. Um, it turned out that I was not a great student. (laughs) I did quite poorly in school. Music was something that needed to be a career because it just came most natural to me. That's why I never stopped pursuing it despite my failed grades. And at times, like I got got thrown out of a college for having bad grades. It was just like not good. Throughout that whole time, I uh, would just continue to write and, and record music. And I went through so many different phases of writing styles and, and making melodies. And a lot of them were just were not great. But when I moved to Miami in 2010, I started getting into like dance music just for listening pleasure and then got me inspired to write more melodic hooks and, and different things like that. And 
I think that that's uh, a large part why I have the sound I have today. I love that you brought up the fact that, you know, maybe school wasn't your thing, but music gave you an outlet. Was there a particular aspect of it? Like, I know you mentioned finding dance music. Was it the the melodies and the instrumentation or the lyric writing or a mixture? What What do you feel spoke most to you that allowed you to express yourself in a way that maybe school didn't? Feeling a catchy melody is so satisfying for me that it's just not comparable to to anything else. That's really what I love most about music is the feeling that I get when I hear pleasant sounds. I'm always so in awe. My my listeners know I am not a musician by any means, and you know, for for artists like yourself who are able to to hear that, to get that melody, or to get that inspiration for a hook or a beat, um, I'm just always in in such awe that of of how people can experience certain expressions through music um, is such a beautiful thing, and then you're able to share it with all of us, which. You know, as a listener, I'm always very thankful for. I know you uh, collaborate often with Kevin Rudolph these days, but when you were first starting in music, was it something that you kept to yourself or did you have a group of friends or collaborators that you worked with? Like, what, what was that experience like? So for a very long time, I wrote alone and I was very sort of like against writing partners just because I didn't know how to deal with splits and different things like that. And I was just always, I was just always like caught up in the wrong things. Like who's got, who has the most percentage. And it was just like a bad thing to be sort of like obsessed with. But at the same time, you hear so many different stories about people getting cut out of songs that I, I ended up focusing more on the writer shares before songs were even complete. And it was just a terrible, like, hole to get into. And only when I moved to Miami did I start really collaborating with individuals that really enhanced my songwriting. There's something like alleviating about not being alone and relying on yourself anymore. It's just something now that I kind of don't like doing. It's like now it's trying to give the song the most respect as possible and bring in and utilize the appropriate people so that the end result is as good as it could be, then worry about the splits later. And so far there, there hasn't been any issue ever. Yeah, that's really great point to bring up. You know, we've, we've spoken a lot on this podcast about, you know, as you become a musicpreneur, understanding things like splits and royalties and copyrights and protecting your, your music. But I love that you brought up that there's a middle ground that you have to find because yes, as you said, if you get too carried away with it, it can, it can really take the fun and the, the trust out of, of that collaboration. And so I'm, I'm glad to hear that, you know, stepping back from that and focusing on the partnership that you found that you can trust that um, in people that you've chosen to work with. And I think that's really great to hear. Do you have a process for that in terms of determining who you collaborate with and choose to work with? Or is it just like this gut instinct that you get in the moment? What has that been like? So nowadays, I usually always bring, I have a team that I work with. So Kevin Rudolph is one of the members and my manager, Josh, is is a really great songwriter. So I generally will bring my songs to them between the three of us, I mean, the three of us really wrote my entire album. 
I'm open to writing with, you know, anybody that sort of shares similar interests in me and, and, and music styles. And the goal is to write good music that's sort of like written by people who are motivated to, to, to write that good music. A writer might have a chip on their shoulder and can be unpleasant. And then you just sort of like leave the session. You're not required to stay, but like I... I guess because of my personality and my openness to really like talk about my feelings, shortcomings, or, you know, positive things that have happened. I've had a very good experience with the people I've worked with so far. I love as a reminder to the other artists listening, you can leave. Totally. <laughs> like that was such a great point to bring up that, you know, you're, you don't, this is supposed to be art and expression. And if you're not feeling that, you know, and there's always a respectful way to do that. You have permission to be in charge of your own choices. One of the things we talk a lot about on this podcast is um, feeling empowered to make your own choices. And I think that that's wonderful that you feel empowered enough to say, this isn't, this isn't working for me. And if, and if beautiful, wonderful, you know, inspiring art, whether it's meant to be happy or sad or whatever emotion it's, it's meant to emote, it's there to inspire people and to connect with people. And you can't really do that if you're not connecting with the people you're creating with. So I love that you brought that up. And you had mentioned just a bit ago about your team uh, with Josh and with Kevin. And I know that um, Josh Snyder is your manager and you are currently signed with paperclip records again a lot of our listeners for them their goal you know this brass ring to get to get signed to get a label deal to have a team um what was that journey like for you and and a kind of a follow-up or part b to that is is that what you were going after like did you always want a label deal like how how did all that come about and what was that process like for you i um spent you know 15 years writing and recording music and submitting music to all these different like online services and there are many places that online that they'll say they'll help you out and Sometimes it's scammy, sometimes it's real. But the way that I uh, sort of like got signed was I met, so Josh and I were next door neighbors and I invited him over one day and it turned out that he was in a touring rock band called Atomic Tangerine in the early 2000s. And they had a you know, decent following and um, he's, I had no idea. When I played him some of my songs on my guitar, he really liked them. You know, not every song's, quote, a hit, but, like, is every hit a fan's favorite song? No, also. So I had begun working with him, and we we just started writing together a little bit. And, like, we love each other, first of all. He's, like, my older brother and is a is a cancer survivor and the type of guy who's, like, not willing to, like, let time pass him by. And he's like, let's just do this. I Like, I believe in it. And I never heard that from somebody before. I always crave to hear something like that from someone because all I've heard in the past was, if you give me this, I could do this for you. Or if you pay me this, I'll be able to do that for you. And I knew that the day will come where it won't be so much about money, but rather this fire burning inside you of, of necessity needing to do it. Mm. 
you know, we were working together for almost a year. And then, and then I met Kevin because I, I bought one of his older guitars. I ended up buying that guitar deliberately to meet him and play the songs <laughs> in front of him. I didn't need the guitar. Miraculously, he enjoyed the music too. And then when jo- me and Josh and Kevin got together, well, then we began sharing that music and, and we were able to find a local indie label here in Florida that was very interested in putting the sole focus on me because they believed that the merging of my story of addiction and life experiences plus the music I was putting out uh, played a nice role in, 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 in today's world because uh, it's just all honest. It's not about wearing a cool necklace or dyeing your hair red. Not that I could because I'm bald. But, <laughs> um, it's just like it's it's the best setup that I could ask for. And things are, are really moving in a positive direction. Like it's really crazy how it happened. It's hard to believe and it's hard to sort of like identify the moment when things went from like, okay, it's not serious to it is serious. But over the past year and a half, we've just been going extremely hard, pushing my songs out and amassing like, you know, almost 2 million views on YouTube, which the reality is, is that's not a lot at all in the grand scheme of things, unfortunately. But it's a starting point. And that's just the craziest thing that on their own time, they chose to listen to my record. It's, it's a very great feeling. And I always thought I wanted a record deal. I always thought that a record deal was like the holy grail of music. Mm -hmm. And like, that's the end of whatever. But the reality is, is that a record deal is the following. It's an investment in a person just like real estate is an investment in a person. Mm. Like that's all that a record deal is. And you could do that at whatever scale you want. So you could give yourself your own record deal and say, I'm going to allocate a thousand dollars a year to my music career. And that's a you know recording contract for yourself. So it's, it's important to know that it's really not more than that. And I know it's hard to kind of like, envision that when you don't have it. But I was that guy that would sit in my room, staring at the mirror, playing my songs, pretending like I'm on Jimmy Fallon's show that night. (laughs) About how like, I'm sitting in my green room with like a bologna platter and all that stuff. And it's not like that at all, especially now. I want to thank you for shining a light on that because it's something that I think it's just innate for independent musicians, especially given how difficult it can be to, you know, to see yourself as a musicpreneur, you know, you guys don't get into this so that you can be a business person. You know, um, some people take to it more easily than others, but you get into it for the music, you get into it for, you know, what those melodies in your head did for you when you weren't doing well in school, you know, you get into it for the feeling that it gives you. And so when you, when you're ready to take it seriously and you add in all of this business stuff and all of this left brain, you know, uh, not so sexy, not so creative stuff on top of it, it can get overwhelming. And the thought is, oh, well, like a label can do it for me. Or if I just had a label deal, then I could really do it. And um, I appreciate you kind of really pulling back the curtain and saying, I guess it's, it can be a wonderful tool and it's great that you have this team, but to, 
to demystify what it is and isn't for our listeners, I, I think we all really appreciate you taking the time to do that. One of the things that stood out to me and that and that stands out to me just from speaking to you um, as you've told your story, your ability to to bring out the positive and see the beauty in in what life has to offer and what people and who, who you're choosing to work with, what they have to offer. Um, it seems to me like everybody you've surrounded yourself with, you know, you all come from a genuine, authentic place that, as you said, with getting uh, Josh to manage you, it was his belief and passion in what you could do where that was like, okay, this is who I need to work with. I got the same sense when I read about your experience in rehab, coming out of rehab, you wrote uh, The Good Life and how it's you know described as a sunny track um, after being in rehab, which most people could get down on themselves about. And obviously, I'm sure it had its, its hardships. Would you be comfortable explaining to us a bit the role addiction has, has played in your life and how rehab, coming out of rehab, has influenced your outlook and how you create your music? I'm extremely comfortable talking about my addiction problems because that's part of my uh, recovery and therapy. Like, you know, first of all, I was addicted to Adderall um, from a very young age, and it became something extremely regular in my life. the The reason it turned into an addiction is because the feeling it gave me was this constant feeling of like almost like on top of the world and high. It was an unrealistic way to live life. Anything that was not surging with excitement was drowning in depression. And, and it got to a point where my, where my wife and manager and, and, and friends were like, something's really wrong. I was acting psychotic. I didn't even notice it until I watched videos of myself before I went and the most eye-opening thing was that I'm sitting in a room with people that are on parole for like drug dealing. And it's like, I'm not going to allow my brain to convince me I don't belong here. You know, and it took some time, you know, a, a week or two for me to really embrace the fact that these other addicts are my family too. The realness of being extracted from your day-to-day life by a crane, essentially, and plopped into this middle of nowhere place with strangers that are giving you a schedule for a period of 30 days is extremely frightening. It's extremely intimidating. It's uncomfortable. It's the worst feeling I've ever felt in my entire life beyond funerals, beyond breakups. It's, it it was a horrible feeling to be in. But as I began accepting that I belonged there so that I could actually get out and, and, and live a clean life, I started like allowing myself to em- embrace that feeling. And the way I relate it is I've had panic attacks for a while now. And sometimes in a panic attack, it's like a roller coaster where when you're going up the roller coaster in your mind, you're like, okay, I'm about to freak out. I'm about to freak out. And then you and then you could either like catch it before the drop or you don't. For me, it's like I'm on the drop already and I'm sort of like able to at that moment say, you know what, I there's no I'm not able to escape this roller coaster right now like I'm on it. Mm. So instead of freaking out about something that I can't control right at this moment, 
because when you're in a severe panic attack, whether it's deep, you just need to let it pass, honestly. So I went and, and, and like when I was done, I never felt more accomplished. It was a very, very, very good threshold intolerance builder for unpleasant things in my life. I virtually don't get bothered much anymore because of that. I think that my music has benefited from it because not only do I have more material to write about when I need to vent about something, it also made me you know, realize how fortunate I am to be able to come back to the people that I left before. That's beautiful. And I'm, I'm so grateful that you shared that with us as I myself have grown up in a family riddled with addiction and I myself have battled my own demons and gone to therapy. And I, I related to a lot of what you said. I, I love the outlook because everything is a choice and you have the choice afterwards to either look at it as, yeah, okay, I did that, but now life is, you know, I'm not, I'm not as heightened or things aren't as exciting as they were when I was on those things. Or you have a choice to, as you said, look at all the positives that breaking that addiction or dealing with that addiction allow into your life. And the way you've chosen to look at it and the choices you've made from that point on are are really inspiring. And I also appreciate what you said about what it's done for your music. I'm also curious, what role did music play in, in terms of allowing you to get through this? I wrote in rehab. Um, I wrote a song called Move On. It's on my upcoming album, which is called Feelings in My Head. I I did what I always do, which is just write my feelings. It put me in a situation where I was very emotional and needed to vent. When a song is out there, it can emit many different types of emotions and it can connect with people in many different ways. My rehab uh, allowed me to just experience even more intense emotions in that moment. And it allowed me to write, I think, some of my better songs, possibly because I had never felt emotions like that before and fear. Mm. And and one of the things that I noticed on your social media, a lot of your videos, there's such a great aesthetic to them. They're very creative and they've just got a great sense of energy about them that clearly, you know, that's something that you bring. Uh, you can't you can't teach that. And you really can't force that. Uh, you can't create it in editing. <laughs> um, the energy that you yourself just being in front of the camera bring to the videos is it's palpable. And so I'm curious when you create these videos, what what is your inspiration for? Do you talk with your team and plan everything out together? Do certain video concepts just come to you? What, what's been your process with, with building your YouTube arsenal because it's clearly connecting with your audience. I try and stay out of like the creative aspect of my videos because I'm a songwriter and I'm not a cinematographer. I'm more of a storyteller. So what I like to do is one of the, I think one of my best qualities is to know when to sort of shut up. Mm. Well, not maybe my wife and parents, may not agree <laughs> with that, but, but in terms of like, working on my music like I trust the people I work with and and I like to give other people an opportunity to express their creativity through my music too I don't need to do everything I can't do everything I I it's so hard to write a complete song that's 
passes like my bar for good that like, I just don't want to do all those things. So I've got a small group of people that I trust and they generally will come up with a concept and then, you know, uh, pass it by me and then I'll, you know, tweak it and we'll, and we'll move on from there. But it's really important even for people who don't have a team, you really don't need a lot of people. You just need people that you trust. And if you could find someone that you trust, I think that that's much better than anybody with experience Mm. because together you'll be able to figure it out. Definitely. How do you manage now being out of rehab and now taking on so much with your team and your growing music career, do you have a structure now that you follow in terms of where you put your focus, what your role is for your career and what, and what you spend your time doing? Like, have you found for yourself your own structure that you can commit to? I work closely with Josh every day in on my own personal self. He does a lot for me aside from just being my music manager. I still have that same sort of like affected and tainted and almost like bruised brain that has gone through so much that sometimes you need an outsider who's like not in your immediate family to kind of jump in and give like a non-biased, non-emotional opinion. And, And part of my structure is really talking with Josh every day and, and between me and him figuring out whether I'm writing in the morning or if I have interviews or if I need to record an acoustic, you know, set or a video, or I really, I, I, I rely on him a lot, not to say that I couldn't do it on my own, but while I have people there, I, I always plan to collaborate and, and hopefully through that experience, gain my own comfort and be able to handle things on my own. That might take time. I love that. I love that you've embraced You know, so many people want a team, but then when they get it, it's difficult for many people to delegate or give up control or rely on their team members. And I love how you've embraced that and and know where their strengths are and how they can help you and how you help each other. It also brings me to a segment in our podcast. Uh, I ask all my guests these four rapid fire questions. One of the things that, you know, I think has been common throughout our talk today are all the lessons um, that you've learned and that you've um, acquired over the course of your your life. And so one of our first questions in our rapid fire is, if you could go back and tell yourself a lesson to maybe save yourself some time, what would it be? It's going to come a lot later than you expect. And, and it's going to require a lot more work than you're, you expect. And it's not going to be easy. It may take longer than expected, but eventually, hopefully for everyone, but for me, it, it, it worked out. Absolutely. Next one is three musicians, living or dead, inviting them to dinner. Who would it be? Gavin DeGraw, Matt Carney, and James Taylor. Ooh, <laughs> I like Eclectic. I like it. <laughs> if you could have one superpower, what would it be? And poverty. Nice. And so uh, it brings us to our last question. It can literally be anything. What action would you like our listeners to go take this week? I would like your listeners to find an individual that they trust and tell them that they trust them and that they want to 
share with them some things involving their music or whatever it is so that they could get some truly honest feedback from people that they trust. I love that so much. And listeners, I hope you're paying attention. You've got homework to do. I'm going to be putting that in the show notes so you don't forget. And my actionable that I would like everyone to go do is to go follow, subscribe, support Judah and his amazing music. Judah, I want to thank you so much for taking the time not only to speak with us, but to also to have been so open with us and and sharing your your life lessons with all of us. I know our listeners definitely gained a lot and I encourage everybody to connect with you because you've you've got a great spirit, an amazing talent and um, I'm glad that there's more people like you putting music out there. So thanks again. Thank you so much for having me. I I'm, I'm glad to give any, you know, advice I can. Thank you so much. I want to again thank Judah for sharing his story with us. Don't forget to go stream and download his latest EP, Young Hearts. You will not be disappointed. Head on over to therockstaradvocate.com forward slash EP85 for all of the links and be sure to connect with Judah on Instagram at Judah underscore holiday. I know there was a lot to unpack in our conversation, so here are the lessons I hope you've taken away. Number one, whether you're battling addiction or simply struggling with opportunities not working out as you build your career, it's important to practice the art of letting go. We can't control what happens to us. We can, however, control how we react and what we do with it. Number two, it's important to find people in your circle you can trust. It may not always seem easy, but it is less scary when you remember that when you come across people you don't gel with, you don't need to continue the relationship. When collaborations go south or simply don't take off, walk away respectively and continue looking. Finally, number three, authenticity is always going to resonate with your audience. It's not about the millions of YouTube views or the record deals. Focus on connecting with your audience through your art and the rest will come. As Judas said, structure is important in order to remember these lessons and sometimes you need an outside eye to guide you and reinforce that structure. If you're looking for additional support in order to maintain structure in your career and daily life, join us in Rockstar Slackers, my weekly accountability program. With private accountability check-ins throughout the week, weekly planning calls, monthly consulting calls, and more, you can have that team in your back pocket for less than $1.50 per day. You can find more information in the show notes. In my next episode, I'll be giving a behind-the-scenes look at what it's like having a coach and when it's a good time to get one. So be sure to stay tuned and reach out anytime if you have any questions or would like to chat. Suze, S-U-Z, at therockstaradvocate.com. Thank you for listening, and remember, there's always someone out there ready to listen to you. If you're struggling with addiction or mental health stresses, don't wait to reach out. Talk to somebody you trust or call one of the hotlines I've listed in the show notes today therockstaradvocate.com forward slash EP85. Until next time, Rockstar, have a safe and wonderful week, and I hope to see you back here next time so we can get grounded to get rising. Take care.